you go about your normal day. You have good months and, you know, you have some bad months. You're working a hectic schedule and then it hits. Change is here and we don't know when it's leaving. What will happen next? How will we see clients? How will we deliver the level of results or expectations we are accustomed to? I had the opportunity to talk about all of this with my next guest, Luke Bongiorno. We have an opportunity to define what we do during times like these. And if something wasn't working before, you can wait and go back to that feeling of you know inadequacy and self-doubt or blaming other people or blaming yourself. Or you can design, connect, tweak, and pivot to what will help empower and refresh your practice. We are fortunate today that Luke shares his journey of pivots and change with us. You can embrace change as well and thrive. Now let me introduce you to Luke Bongiorno. Luke graduated from the University of Melbourne and currently in practice in New York. One of New York City's most prominent physical therapists, Luke practices a hands-on approach combining his advanced manual skills with neuromuscular exercise and education. Luke has a strong belief that education is fundamental in optimizing patient recovery and performance. He has taught advanced skill courses in manual therapy internationally since 2004 and has been on the NOI faculty since 2015. Luke has extensive experience in the management of acute and chronic pain in sports injuries and is affiliated in the clinical education programs of Columbia University and Turo College. Luke also treats professional and Olympic athletes as well as touring performance arts and dance company members. He currently serves as a consultant with the NBA as well as European soccer professional teams. Yeah, I was so pumped to meet Luke and to talk with him about a whole slew of ideas about change and pivoting throughout his career and then a little bit into um, what's gonna happen post COVID-19. So I know that you will enjoy this conversation with Luke Bongiorno. Yeah, t- time is sort of, it's funny because March seemed to move so slowly and April's April seemed to fly. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's, it's a remnant, you know, it's just gone. <laughs> yep. So anyway, but look, yeah. it's uh, you know, all this, yeah, but it's it's been a it's been a good week. I'm starting to feel, you know, generally more positive about everything. I mean, I was always, but <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's I, I I feel that the um, I feel that people are getting a little bit more real. Um, that, so the authenticity of the situation sort of hitting for for better or for worse. But I think it's it's. It's all for better because people are starting to realize. All right, well, let's see how we can now adapt and navigate. Yeah. In the to the new way, or like everyone. So there's there's less of that, I guess, flight or fight, fear, panicky mode. There's still that, but it's it seems to be less. And I don't know if it's just me or if it's the surroundings, but you know, from the people I've spoken to, it seems that way a little bit as well. It's calming. Well, how many, what have you found? Well, I mean, you know, I was going to say like how many how many people um, do you normally talk with on a, on a daily basis that, that helps with that, that feel of, um, like your sense of your surroundings? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, in terms of patients or regular people, I'd I mean, I both. mean, not that patients aren't regular people, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> friends and acquaintances and family. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, 
it's difficult to say, but I, I would uh, I would think that I you know probably uh, I might have ten conversations a day, maybe more, maybe less. Um, That's good for patients, family, uh, friends in uh, in all three continents, professionally and personally. So I. You know, because that's why it's it's been a really fascinating time just for me personally. Because I'm, you know, I've got my professional work and life, um, and the online education, which is based. Noi is based in Australia, and then I'm also dealing with Noi, yeah, UK and Holland. Cool. So I'm having conversations about what's going on in the in the PT world or in the healthcare and wellness space and education. Uh, and then I've got friends in Europe, family in Australia, and friends, and then here in New York. Mm. So, and it's interesting, you know, having all those connections on a weekly, daily basis uh, ha- has been very interesting. And it just shows how, you know, how, how really global we are and connected. And again, goes back to what we were discussing about uh, looking at you know, the similarities and, and how we sort of all work together. So, and, and that will be instrumental in how everything reopens, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What are some steps? Restarts. Oh, well, completely restarting. <laughs> I mean, cause it's a whole new, it, I mean, everyone is dealing with their version of what this will look like uh, for them. You know, what are some of the things that you notice with, um, that you're working on? Um, what similarities and things are you preparing on the different professional fronts? Right. Well, I mean, I have a a caseload here. As I, as I think I mentioned to you, I had a big business with a lot of therapists, but now it's just a, I work with a couple of different therapists. So on a clinical level, um, I'm still seeing patients and have made the switch to telehealth, which that is the same in the, in the UK and Holland and also in uh, Australia, like David Butler's start, you know, doing telehealth and we all had a, a chat this week on the what we're finding with telehealth and we all funnily enough came up with different points um, but very 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 similar themes like it's forcing uh, us to trust our patients more mm. um, it's forcing us to move from our own egos a little bit saying we need to fix that person or we need to touch them more um, and really uh, forcing a more active uh, uh, approach. It's forcing both therapist and patient to be more creative, which is going to open up neuronal pathways and help them break whatever cycles um, they're in, uh, which leads to improvements. It decreases the dependence on, you know, and, and a lot of those themes on, on a human level are, are basically the same yeah. uh, all around the world. I think in terms, some of the differences would be you know, and I, I was talking to a colleague in, in Holland, Bart, who's one of the Noi uh, instructors and um, runs it over there. Uh, the difference is in those countries, you know, the government tend to take care of them more. You know, they've got the universal health care. They've got education. So there's a little bit less panic on that front. In America, it that, that trust perhaps doesn't exist, certainly at a federal level. I think people trust their local governments and their communities um, more, but it's more geared around, you know, let me get back to work. That's not to say it's not that like that over there, but at least there's a little bit less um, panic. And it's easier controlled in high-density living um, 
it's much harder to control than, you know, a reopening than uh, in suburban living, you know, where social distancing is geographically happening anyway. Yeah. I like the idea that you said trusting the person more with telehealth. And can you go into that a little bit more? Um, trusting the person means, uh, you know, you know, as, as you know, if when we're working with patients, they're not, they're feeling vulnerable. They're coming to you in pain or weakness or looking to you as an authority. So there's a, there's a power imbalance, you know, not imbalance, but there's a, they're seeking advice. They're seeking information. And we as clinicians or myself as a clinician, uh, have a certain set of evaluation uh, skills and tools, whether it be manual therapy, therapeutic exercises, um, coupled with education, uh, in my toolbox. Right now, I'm having to exercise more the uh, educator and motivator, which is the same in the fitness world. You know, but let, let's let's move our bodies. Let's uh, let's see what we have got. Let's build our immune systems. Let let's look at how. Um, we can work together in, in a little bit more because I believe that you, uh, you, right now, when you're not well, you're not your best you. And for you to be your best you, you need to know that you can do it on your own. I'm a facilitator, um, but it's easier when you're not physically with them. It's easier to uh, embrace that role, um, both as the therapist and for the patients, because you're forcing them into a situation where they don't have you on hand, literally. Yeah. Um, so as a therapist, you have to trust the patient because if you don't, that level of authenticity when you're delivering a message is going to come across as, as a, a, a sense of doubt. And that's not to say you're giving them false information or you're giving them false hope. But if you fundamentally have that trust, you're in the best position as a therapist or as a trainer or whatever industry or field you're in to allow that person to receive the information and connect to themselves in a way that, you know what, I do have an immune system and my back isn't weak and feeble. I am strong and I have actually gotten better. My mind is telling me that I'm back to square one, but actually when I look back and problem solve and synthesize and analyze, I actually am making improvements and they also start to see the similarities between what happens in a normal day-to-day events. If you look at um, the, the the current COVID situation where there are a lot of unknowns, the, the brains and our nervous systems are following similar pathways. They're just sort of heightened. The peaks and troughs are happening sometimes a bit faster mm. and they're a bit more, they're a bit louder. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, but, but if you start to create some sense of normalcy, well, oh yeah, that, that actually happens normally when I have an argument with my mum or my brother or sister, it's just now everything's been magnified. Hmm. So the, the benefit of that is when it's magnified, it opens your eyes so you can see it more clearly um, and which then leads to action uh, to change that behavior or that uh, that situation um, that's probably holding you back. Um, and on the other side, though, it can be really confronting. And if, uh, you know, I've had to really sort of evaluate how much information can I deliver and I have to be more focused on, all right, let's 
look at this as a structure, step-by-step, step, almost like a curriculum. If I'm moving into that role as a teacher, let's make sure I'm following a, uh, a procedure or a curriculum whereby by the end of, say, the next two weeks or three weeks, looking at a longer-term picture, that these are the goals that we share together and we're going to work together to achieve that. So it's not really different. It's just, you know, the level of focus uh, that I've had to do has, has been good for me. Um, and Sounds like a lot of growth. Patients. Yeah, I've noticed it in my patients. I was looking at a message this morning saying, you know, a chronic pain, uh, a girl, young girl, she's about uh, 20, oh, she's about 30 now, 29 or 30, who's literally been confined to her apartment for the last 12 months, uh, pain, fibromyalgia, gut issues, hmm. um, mental health, bipolar. And she, she sent me a message, Luke, I realized that I actually just started getting better. Hmm. And all I did was challenge myself because no one else, she couldn't, she saw herself also as, well, everyone's inside now. That makes me a bit more normal. Okay, if I'm a bit more normal, maybe mm. I can do it. Yeah. And it was incredible to see, like, and that's like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's interesting too because, like, you brought up something that that was really um, that really hit home, which is this idea of our own bias, and sure. and also um, how, as a practitioner, um, how we can listen better and be better listeners over overall, and that the people that are telling us this stuff are doing their best way to tell us their version of their reality, you know, and, yes. and giving them that, that, um, that ear so that they can freely speak in, in a way that it's like, we're asking questions to understand that better. And those questions hit home so much more that those questions themselves can be a big part in the healing process. Yes. Is what you, it seems. You're absolutely right. And, and paying attention to the, the words we're using, um, based on the words that they're using. So we can help to get in touch a little bit better with their reality and not just sort of uh, project our reality onto them as much, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, no, that's uh, – it's very uh, – it's been, it's been an interesting uh, journey. And, look, uh, you know, I can say, all right, I've, I've been a, a practitioner, a clinician for 22 years. I feel like I've got a bit of a good grasp of, of how to do this, but it – you know, at times like this, you're reminded I'm, I'm still here to learn um, and serve, you know, the patient as the one who I'm here for. Um, and, uh, you know, it was Jeffrey Maitland. I, I learned in, I trained in Australia and uh, there was a manual therapy sort of guru at the time, Jeffrey Maitland, who we, we learned our mobilization techniques and, you know, is considered sort of manual therapy. Hmm. But his really what what his real strength I think was was his ability to connect to the patient. And one of the great great quotes that uh, I've always remembered, he said, "If you listen to the patient, they'll tell you what's wrong, and if you really listen to them, they'll tell you how to get them better." Hmm. So that sort of ties in a little bit with what you're saying. Um, hmm. And then that helps us to frame questions. And then on the the other side of that. Uh, you know, because when the patients are a little bit more nervous or they'll tend to want to, you know, if they're starting to feel hope, they'll want to ask more and more questions. And I had one guy who's actually up in Buffalo 
uh, with chronic back pain. And he goes, well, can I ask one more question? I said, well, you've got one more, so articulate it quite carefully. <laughs> I said, so, so because he would ask me a question, and then I said, well, we've been through that. I want you to articulate it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't said, uh, you know, I try not to be either patronizing or condescending, you know, because we have a, a rapport at this point. Um, but I, I asked him if he'd watched the movie uh, Aladdin, you know, it was something I'd watched recently. And um, he said, yeah, actually, how'd you know that was my favorite movie as a kid? And, and he said, um, I said, have you watched the, the new version? He goes, no, no, I don't haven't haven't watched it because, you know, I don't want, don't want it to ruin the old version. Hmm. So, well, what do you remember about that and about the genie? And he goes, I don't know. And then he watched it and he said, look, it was the genie said to Aladdin, you've got to be really careful how you ask the questions because my interpretation of what you're saying and what you're meaning can be two different things. Hmm. So it was a nice little message. That's a great, yeah, great analogy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it just, look, I was, I was lucky that he happened to have Aladdin in his favorite movie. It's like, so, wow, that's destiny right there. Yeah. So I'm like, All right, well, there, there you go. But, it, but it was something that then we could relate on and we could communicate. And then he went, you know, he's a thinker anyway. Um, and he went though and used, you, you know, he had one of his homework exercises was to go and watch Aladdin. So it's, it's also taking the shift from, all right, to get better, you need to do three sets of 10 of this exercise or that strengthening exercise and saying, well, let's look at the big picture here. Um, you know, in a, a biopsychosocial context of what's really behind my back pain and how stress and anxiety and, uncertainty can all play into that uh, neuroimmune response. Mm. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's easier or it's, uh, you know, in a way uh, for patients to sort of see that because you're not touching them and you're not reverting back to just the biomedical model, um, which is, is limited in so many ways. Yeah. All right. With, um, with a reframe in mind, how have, um, I'm getting back to this reality right now. Um, what does a normal day look like for you right now, and how are you coping with? Uh, you know, you're doing telehealth, but like, what are some things that you're thinking about moving forward when you reopen your own practice? Well, I mean, the the first part of that is is how am I structuring my my normal day? It's um, I'm trying to pay attention to my own physical body. And that's, you know, through through diet and exercise, which can be challenging sometimes. That doesn't mean to say I eat healthy all the time. It just means I try and keep a little, a little bit of balance. Um, and I'm doing some online classes myself to learn new movement patterns um, to keep myself focused on that regard. Any specific um, ones that, you, that you've been liking? Um, I like this uh, Aldoa technique. I do Pilates. I, I you know, I've, I've started doing, you know, Pilates and yoga as I've gotten older. You know, it's, uh, you know, a little bit less strength training, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it ties in a lot with uh, neural stretches. You know, at Noi Group, we 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 do a lot of sort of uh, dural tension and and uh, neural glides, which help people first of all understand that the body is connected, and it takes the um, emphasis away from joint or muscle you know we don't have joint pain or muscle pain it's it's the system is not moving 
coherently as a unit, and neural stretches help to do that. So hmm. this technique that I, I learned from a, a Pilates group, um, you know, it's called Aldoa, and it just it does a lot of these sustained movements, um, which I've found really useful and uh, tying in breathing, uh, breath to movement. So that's been very useful. Um, cool. And then I'll incorporate some of that into my telehealth. So for me to then learn that, it's a bit sneaky, I guess, but it, <laughs> but it also helps the patients because everyone's a little uptight. People are sitting more. Um, people are moving a little bit less. We are more confined. So it's a great time to learn uh, new movement patterns, um, which helps uh, keep the blood circulation, keep your immune system active and keep your mind uh, somewhat clear. So you feel productive or that feeling of productivity or I'm actually doing something for my body uh, is still happening. So I've been doing that. And then my evenings, you know, I, you know, working on online education with Noi, a lot of that happens at nighttime for me or, you know, eight o'clock. So a couple of times a week. So I'm actually quite, quite busy. Yeah, <laughs> you are. <laughs> but, but, but instead of being, you know, seven to seven treating patients and doing the same thing, I find myself paying a little bit more attention to, to doing different things. And then obviously I've got, you know, I live by myself. So I've still got the, you know, the, daily household tasks the the cleaning and the cooking and the trying to organize myself and you know procrastinating from doing some of the things i, I need to do <laughs> like everybody else um but yeah but but the the one you know and that's the one good thing about you know what we you know having the time you sort of say all right well i can probably i don't need to do 20 things today i can probably do five and that's like a normal person um <laughs> yeah doing your superman stuff yeah exactly yeah we sort of forget that we are you know we're all human and uh you know we can we, we need to sort of live a balanced life and also accept help too that's the other thing you know it's you know i've been i've got fortunate to have a good support network and um you know even even having these conversations and uh bouncing off ideas or going online it sort of helps uh, you know that human connection, um, which doubt. is important. Yeah, it gives you ideas and also gives you gives you actually help. You know, emotional support and um, practical support. Um, you know, I'm learning how to how to fix things, how to get rid of it. You know, little little things that I wouldn't have ever paid attention. <laughs> well, to. exactly. You know, what's interesting is the exploration part of not only the human body for yourself and your own exploration and what's working for you and your. Um, I mean, I, I was a former athlete, you know, and, and I had a slew of injuries. That's one of the main reasons I got into um, exercise and to body work in the first place was, you know, I think a lot of people want to try to fix themselves, you know, and, and take that ownership instead of, oh man, like going into the same system that, that yeah, like, as you said before, it has its limitations. I'm like, I want to explore the, the, the fringes of those those limitations and and put that into my own lap and and I think that's what's really interesting with you is this um, when you first got introduced to Noi um, and we shared I remember you telling me this story about um, about like right before you know, from the point that you started with Noi to like even right before the pandemic yeah I thought the pandemic story with you at the airport 
was was fascinating. I, could you could you share like when you first started with Noi and um, rehash some of those moments at the uh, at, at the airport? Because I thought it's just encompassing of of education in in, in how you approach things. Um, well, I mean, I first started with Noi. Uh, I first met David Butler in two thousand five. I was teaching manual therapy courses at the time um, with a group called Hands On. Um, and David, we actually brought David over and he uh, presented one of the neural mobilization courses, I think. And um, we just sort of, you know, we connected quite well. And then uh, I was always a big proponent of uh, the, the Noi philosophy. I, I worked, my first job in Australia was in um, uh, head injury units. So I worked with neuro and ortho. So I always... Um, liked and needed to work with the idea that, you know, everything is connected. A knee is not just a knee. It's, you know, connected to a, a neural chain. And I've, I've, I've been interested in that. So David and I stayed in touch. And then um, <clears throat> I started teaching with them probably about uh, three, four years ago now, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I was going to for a long time before that, but at that time I had a business. We had three locations in the city. We had about wow. I think, 25, 30 therapists at the time. Yeah. So I'm like, well, all right, I would love to do this, but uh, you know, right now I've got a bit of a responsibility. You know, I had two partners, so we, we worked it all together and, and we literally started that in 2007. We signed a lease three months before the global financial crisis. So therefore, it was like, all right, let's perfect timing. Let's, <laughs> yeah, exactly, perfect timing. So, but the, the 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 flip side of that is it it taught us how to how, how to navigate, um, you know, through challenging times. And a lot of our staff were very young. Um, you know, the three of us that were owners and partners were all about the same age, um, mid 30s, and then our staff were a lot of younger therapists. So um, it was a really nice uh, sort of vibe. We had an energy in, in the office. Mm. So, you know, lot, you know, we, we sold that business in 2015 and that's when I reconnected a bit more with Dave and, and said, look, right now I need another purpose. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and he's gone, all right, great. We, we need, we need a teacher. So I, I started teaching, uh, teaching with them. I did, um, I was down in Australia for uh, Lorimer Mosley puts on this. Uh, it's been doing I think four years now. The Pain Revolution. So, uh, you know, Lorimer, who's you know pretty much the, the guru of, of uh, neuroscience. You know, super smart guy. Thank you. Um, and that was a bike ride from Melbourne to Adelaide. So for seven days straight, we'd we'd ride our bikes into the rural communities, and then give lectures at night. Um, with the idea being to, uh, number one, provide education to those communities and number two, to raise money uh, for um, research into uh, explain pain, uh, essentially, and pain science uh, to curb the opioid epidemic. Um, And that really, really took on. So it was shortly after that, it was literally a month when I got back after that, uh, that I did my first course up in Montana, I think it was. Um, and I was a bit nervous to be honest with you. And then, um, sounds right, nerve wracking. Uh, what's that? <laughs> so it sounds yeah. nerve wracking when, literally, you, first, when literally you do your first thing. I'm talking about, I was like, I don't understand. You know, I've just been with Laura Mosley who understands it and David Butler. And I'm thinking, I don't get it anywhere close to, you know, these, you know, these guys yet. And I'm reading the books on the plane and I'm, 
I'm like, all right. And then he's like, Luke, come on, you do get it, you know. And, and I was like the patient. He was like the therapist. Like, you know enough <laughs> to deliver and you'll learn. And each time, he was right, each time, you know, it's getting over that hurdle like anything else. And then I started to really enjoy it, um, you know, and the need was for more and more courses. I ended up doing far more than I ever would have imagined. But the repetition of it helped me, first of all, understand the material and then learn a little bit better how to communicate that that message um you know and i got to to travel quite a bit so uh i've been uh a little bit more uh involved with them as the years have gone on and then just recently uh in march i had planned already to go down to australia um to to get you know more actively involved uh with noi and had some meetings set up and we had a music festival there, which, you know, is probably the last music festival I've been to for a while. Um, the WOMAD, which is great, uh, WOMAD Adelaide. And then um, there was a course in Fremantle, uh, which was the last live course that was taught by Tim Cox, uh, one of the Noi instructors there, yeah. one of the main Noi instructor. And so all of that during that time, this the COVID situation was sort of progressing and I remember one of my patients said, Luke, don't go to Australia because you'll never be able to get back. And I'm thinking, well, I'll take precautions. I've been washing, you know. Yeah. And it sort of just sort of hit me, wait a minute, you know, I, I probably do need to go back. But at the same time, I thought, I've got to practice what I preach now. <laughs> I sort of, and I was, I was seeing the fear and the panic, um, which was completely understandable, Um and even in my own home, it's like, well, wait a minute, I've been over in the US, I might have been exposed, am I at risk, am I, and we started exercising sort of social distancing. Yeah. And then I was at the airport um, flying back and the Australian Prime Minister made an announcement that day, like, you know, Australia's on uh, level four travel restrictions, <laughs> no Australians leave the country, um, we're closing <laughs> the borders. And it was like, oh, wow, I, I literally did just sort of get out in time, but but that's when it sort of hit home. It's like, all right, um, you know, I, I've got to, I still have to get from point A to point B, but I have to try and do it in a safe way as possible, but also minimizing my own risk to others. So, you know, I went into self quarantine and it was just, and then it was interesting coming back to New York. And I, I went a little bit into panic mode. I thought, oh, I don't know if the shops are open. I brought some food, you know, some yeah. basic items I mean, you're in, from you're Australia in the, you're and in the, toilet paper. I'd pack toilet paper in my bag. You're, you're in the epicenter, um, man. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I have no idea what it's, what it's, I mean, in Milwaukee, and we're in Wisconsin, you know, so of course, um, Milwaukee is, um, we have a, the, the stay home order until the end of May. Um, right. And, okay. And I just know what I've been seeing on the news, but what's it? What's it like in in New York right now? Well, it's it's look, it's um, pe people are still sort of going about you know whatever they need to do. I mean, I go out to get groceries and exercise, and you know the pharmacy; those sort of basic things are open. But um, you know, it's it's a very different place. Uh, New York is. Hustling, bustling. What's great is every night at seven o'clock they do the the shout out to the workers. So you hear, you know, you open your windows and everyone's cheering and clapping. And there's a sense of there's still a little a sense of community and um, and you know going outside. People are 
paying attention um, for the most part. I mean, from what I've seen mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, the wearing masks and adhering to precautions, um, the, what will be interesting is when the weather starts to get a lot nicer. I mean, it's it's easy to stay indoors when it's grey and, and wet out. <laughs> um, but there is definitely a feeling of, all right, enough of this, enough already. Um, uh, we need to get moving. We need to get out. We're going a bit stir-crazy in our apartments. Um, and and l- let's have some answers. And I think that's, that's challenging because – you know, to, to mobilise a city like York, yeah. um, you know, the Governor Cuomo said, he goes, I can't, I can't possibly arrest 17 million people. Like, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> it's going to take a level of social responsibility and, um, and I, think, I, I think knowledge, um, you know, the, the community needs to be well informed and that's hard because how do you trust information that you're getting right now? Yeah. Um, and that's... That's sort of a challenge. And New Yorkers generally aren't, you know, they're like, you know, I don't believe you or, you know, what are you trying to get from me? You know, that that sort of paranoid anyway. But Do you, um, do you feel like New York has, has uh, modified you since you've been there for a while? As, as, a, as a person? Um, yeah, yeah. A, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I've lived here now. I moved here in 99, so that's 20, 21 years. Wow, jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Time flies, man. It flies. Um, yeah, now... Now, what's what's interesting is I travel, you know, I travel a lot. I teach, you know, I'm lucky I, I get to teach sort of around the world and I go home a little bit and I, I get out of it. It's always a great city to come back to. Um, it, it's definitely, you know, I don't want to say sort of harden me up, but I've definitely, uh, it, it's developed me. I think I've grown up here. Um, but there was a time just even before this happened where I'm thinking, do I really still need to live in New York? That mm. level of pace and that, that energy, which I was so drawn and attracted to. And look, uh, New York presented for me many opportunities in terms of, uh, having interactions and meeting people and, uh, even the patient load you know from you know actors to athletes to to, you're seeing the best of the best um musicians and and on a professional level on a personal level i'm like well that that appeals to my sense of drive and ambition and and all of those things but then at what point do you sort of take a step back and and i guess i'm i've been doing that is to all right what's do i really need that level of energy and how do i now I feel like I, I owe it back. Uh, you know, mm. now's my time where I have to teach it back, or I have to be there now for you know a lot of the younger therapists. So it's like a, this is my, this is the family I chose here right now in in New York, and you know it's it's given to me. So it's time for me to not not run away, just to embrace it and and see what happens. Um, so it's, it yeah, seems I mean, like it's you're different. pivoting. You know, it's you're pivoting towards keeping. Well, I mean. You're recognizing, it seems, as though um, you're recognizing the need for you and the need for those around you and seeing how that all fits. You know, it makes a whole ton of sense. Yes, and it's, 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 it's titrating the balance between those two things, isn't it? My, my own needs and, and the needs of others. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's a challenge I, I think we all have. Um, it's not unique to me, um, but... Uh, it's definitely been an interesting experience being back in New York. And, you know, I was talking to my mum and, and she goes, look, Luke, I'm glad you went back to New York. You made the right decision because that is your home. 
And, you know, the fear of being locked out of the country actually is like, oh, wait a minute. I realize, but you know, this is, this is Australia is my home, but New York is where I live and where I want to be right now is where my life is. My mm. life is in New York. So that's why one of the reasons I came back, I could have stayed in Australia. My brother said, you would have gone stir crazy. My mum's living with my sister <laughs> oh, and, man. and the kids. And like, like, I love my, I love my mom. You know, but just... I do, but no, I mean, I've spoken to my mum more in the last six weeks than I probably did in, in six years. I mean, you know, we, we have a good relationship, thankfully, but, but it's, um, I've stayed connected, uh, you know, to home, um, yeah, yeah. you know, quite a lot, but, uh, if I were there anyway, I wouldn't be able to see half the family. We'd all, I'm as I'm as close to my mum right now as my other brothers and sisters. I'm one of nine children, mm. and you know we're all connecting on Zoom, um, and I may as well be you know twenty minutes away in the car as opposed to twenty hours on a plane. It's the you know it's the oh, same. We're getting sure. the same physical contact. Yeah, so. I think it's interesting too because it's like I'm like most sons. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to call your mom. I got to call my mom more often. I got to call my mom more often. This is the theme that's playing in my head a majority of the time. And and now, if if I'm going to be a legitimate son, because I, I, I have a sister, um, they, they talk quite frequently, you know, and, and for me, like my wife talks to her mother probably daily, you know, almost daily. And, and, and I'm maybe every, like maybe twice a week, I'll contact her maybe once a week, you know, and it, cause yeah, life that's, just, that's still a good amount of time. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm, hopefully I'm not too distant, you know, it's like now, no. now, now I'm getting the, the Jewish guilt, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you know, I get the Catholic guilt, you know, <laughs> but, but look, I, I'm lucky just by pure sense that I'm again, one of nine children. So, you know, mum's got the she's got eight other kids to sort of worry about and, and so yeah it was more like the other way around I'm like mum you're not calling me what, what's the matter I'm, I'm I, need, I need my mum <laughs> can, yeah, can I put I you on hold <laughs> she, she's like can I put you on hold <laughs> yeah exactly exactly oh Luke Claire needs this and Jules there I'm like oh mum but but look on the other on the flip side I took it as all right it, it, um um I'm independent, right? You know, I'm still connected to mum, but I don't need, we don't need each other all the time. But it's, I think, uh, you know, calling once a week is, that that's what I would aim to do prior to this, mm. which is less than what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, well, I mean, that was, that's a good week, right? That's, that's a good week. Yeah, I think it's yeah. cool too, because like when you talked about um, pivoting, right, and, and coming to terms with what it is you want to do, um, one of the things that really resonated with me was like when I left Florida, my father had, I think I mentioned had ALS and that's been 13 years since he, over 13 yeah, years that, since he yeah. passed. And, you know, I was primarily working with athletes, you know, no, it's, mm. you know, those, one of the reasons that I, that I completely pivoted was of thinking that what I was doing could be that much better because I felt that athletes are these insanely talented organisms that can heal from just about anything, you know, and recover very, very fast and rapidly. And when that doesn't happen or when that shifts, they, they turn into the rest of us and they retire from sports, you know, and, the, and that's, so when I, when I made that shift from, um, six or actually seven years of professional athlete work, you know, I realized what, what my true calling was. And, and I, 
it was interesting talking with you about your pivot, um, like asking the same questions of, do I really want to be involved in the rat race of, of um, professional athletes or um, how do I value my time and work with people that also value my time no matter what, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that, I, I compl- that completely resonates. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I had that situation, um, you know, as well. It was always like I, I said to my, you know, about our practice, all right, we, we do treat professional athletes. And then from there I went on to the NBA Players Association and was working almost exclusively with athletes and then realized, well, I think – not only when athletes get hurt and they retire, they become like one of us. I think they always are, are like when they're injured, they also become like one of us, you know, and they need the same, they have the same human needs. And if I hadn't been a clinician, I think in, you know, the, the, the regular world to call it, um, I, I, I learned so much from my patients that I think helped my dealings with the athletes because it's, 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 human behavior it's how we cope with stress and athletes have the same bodily functions albeit when they're in their zone and in their flow they're supermen but and women um Mm. but when they're injured they're almost that they lose that sense of identity their sense of identity is so caught up in them um you know being athletes and their the expectations and the uh, that, that are placed on them and that they place on themselves, you know, particularly these really, really high level ones. Um, you know, it's very fortunate to be able to work with some of them um, because I learned, wait a minute, you know, these guys are their own toughest critics. They're hard workers and, and society generally wouldn't see that. Oh, well, I don't feel sorry for him. Look at how much money he has. He, yeah. can, he can get all the care in the world. And I'm like, wait a minute, this guy just needs love, compassion and, and care and wants to be himself again right now. And he can't go outside. These guys are on lockdown all the time because as soon as they go outside, they're mobbed. They can't. Mm. And people don't see that side of it. I'm like, all right, yeah, well, I'll take their money over that. I'm like, well, it, it it's it's looking at, at values and uh, a lot of these guys came from they didn't come from means they they that part of them just wants to be that human side again yeah so so that's the that's the part that i i learned um and you know it's also now helped me but then to your point like yes they don't really respect your time not that's just how they are. Everyone's at their beck and call. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. No, I've got other patients. And one guy said, wait, you've got, you got someone else. I said, yes. (laughs) 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 Yes. Yes, I do. You know what? And and they're they're struggling too. (laughs) Well, I mean, how many people tie, tie their identities to their function? You know, I mean, that's, that's a majority of us. I mean, our, our well-being tied directly into how we move throughout our day and how we're able to navigate our environment helps form part of a a lot of people's identity, you know, and that's that, I mean, no matter if you're a professional athlete or you're, you're a mom or a dad that wants to play with their kids. I mean, imagine like not being able to play with your family, you know, I mean, that's, that's gotta be critical towards, towards how the family unit even functions, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly, and um, you know, and I and I made a point to uh, look. 
I'll be honest. I, I didn't recognize some of the athletes that would walk in. Um, and I should know, I should have known who they they were. And I, I would just, how's your daughter going? How's your wife? Because at that point it was like, all right, it's, what's, what's going to help me be a better therapist is knowing about what's, what's underneath all this, you know, yeah. cause that's how we work with the human body and, and mind too, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, I think that was also a good thing as, as, you know, treating them, seeing them as humans and just being real because, you know, it became apparent I wouldn't sort of post on Instagram or this, you know, I'm treating this person or that person, um, you know, for confidentiality, but also um, I, I didn't want to be like that. And at the same time, maybe I should have more, but, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, but at the same time, um, I think they they could see oh wow he he doesn't want this out of me or he's not overcharging me or he's not doing this and and not that I was doing it to be you know high and mighty or a good person it's just I didn't feel right you know maybe it was the Catholic, Catholic guilt or but yeah. for, for whatever reason it was and and maybe I didn't even value myself to the point where I'm like well I don't want to just see these people or to just be exclusive with these you know. Yeah, uh, and and look, I I did it still. Like there was one particular. I don't know if I mentioned him last time in a conversation. The soccer player where I would go to Europe back and forth, um, and I probably did spend a lot more attention and, and maybe neglected some of my patients here at the time, but uh, to a degree. But it was. I tried to, you know, always, you know, go back to my, my roots and mum, you know, treat everyone as equals and everyone's, you know, it's sort of like it's, it's, it's hard to do because you got to, you got to balance your time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you guys, so anyway. you guys have, um, the online Noi stuff coming up, right? So yes, yes. Can you tell me a so, little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, we ran a trial course in Australia last week, and it's basically like the Explain Pain course uh, online. We're doing our first one in the US at the end of May, and it's essentially instead of being normally a, a course is uh, two days, a Saturday, Sunday, two full days, but because of the online uh, component, sitting in front of a computer for that long is a little bit rougher. So we're trying to. Um, balance it out. The one they did was uh, in Australia was four mornings uh, back to back for three hours each. Mm. And I think the one, the first one we're going to do will be a Friday afternoon for three hours and then Saturday, most of the day and then Sunday for a half day. Um, and it's uh, for now it's on zoom, which is actually a, a useful platform. Um, we have our breakout rooms, so you can still have a lot of the explained pain is not just, lecture it's interaction hmm. um and you know the feedback was re uh, really really positive um definitely it was scary thinking well how, how are we going to do this online but like with telehealth um you know the the educational principles uh you know really lend themselves to actually being a really positive um, and interactive uh experience so uh, we're looking to do uh, more of those. We also have um, uh, e-books. So a lot of the e-books are coming out uh, on uh, e-books, the greater motor imagery. That's basically um, looking at, you know, how we can gradually return to movement if you've been in chronic pain and the role of the 
uh, you know, brain pathways and neural pathways. So mm. we're trying to sort of do that. And there's another handbook we use called the uh, protectometer or the protectometer where mm. essentially pain exists when our credible evidence of danger is greater than safety. And going that back to that patient example, it's not just what's happening in your physical body, it's what's happening in your emotional being or, or what your perceived threat is. And some of that is real. You know, fear, I use the acronym um, that I heard once, the false evidence appearing real, hmm. um, F-E-A-R. And it's essentially, we use that handbook to help people identify, well, what's what's a perceived threat right now? I'm losing my job or, you know, I'm cooped up with my family or I don't know, there's a lot of uncertainty. So identifying those and then, well, what do I like to do? Listening to music, we call them safety in me, safety in me, um, people in your life and that's that you know being grateful and it's that balance and you know we can do that we do that in the courses um and that's also that that can have immediate applications for therapists uh to apply to their own practice so that's what we're looking at doing uh with the online courses and just uh, moving online, so yes, yeah, a lot of uh, really, really good things. I mean, you're, happening. the uh, the books um, explain pain, supercharged, explain pain, and uh, the sensitive nervous system have been mainstays in in my library that I go in and out of and um, through frequently just to rehash ideas in my head, especially with uh, the SIM stuff and the neurotag stuff. Uh, just yeah. to constantly refresh my brain and in how to um, relate better to my clients. It's been very, very helpful. So just to throw that out there. Oh, that's well. great. Yeah. How are you going with the supercharge? Cause I've still got it. <laughs> I still read it. Well, I mean, I'm halfway, um, I'm halfway through it right now, you know, oh, uh, great. explain pain. I've been through twice the sensitive nervous system. I have, I have it's all marked up, you know? <laughs> so yeah, no, but that's good. Uh, but uh, I think that's supercharged and they are David and Lorimer are also working on, um, a lot of new books. There's a new uh, knee osteoarthritis protectometer coming out and some really um, exciting studies uh, that are coming out over the coming year, which were in the works anyway. Mm. Um, but that's uh, they're, they're more things. And it's just um, we're really seeing how influential and, and bigger player that the brain and the immune system uh, are in pain so it's mm. you know you know we call the the neuroimmune system each nerve cell has an immune functioning cell around it so you know paying attention to that um you know is immune boosting behavior really which helps you in everything so i mean you don't want a, uh, a positive immune system right now do you <laughs> well, you want a, you want a, you want a, a healthily functioning immune system so that it can detect. <laughs> I was going to say right now you need that more body. than ever. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? So you said you probably want that more now than ever. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, Ex exactly, yeah, and and um, it's been um, it's been really interesting because you know I talked to Dave and said, oh, we can't you know, we can't relate what we're doing right now to, you know, the COVID, we can't, we don't know enough about it. I said, yes, you know, but, but people are looking for um, ways to boost their immune system. When we know, like I was talking about the, um, the, the neural stretches and things, even that I'm doing, I'm noticing myself, it's helping me think more clearly and, you know, it improves circulation, helps uh, skin health. You know, when you're not touching people, you know, you're, you're losing one, 
one sense in a way, one mm. form of communication. Think about how much we would do that uh, on a day-to-day basis. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, our, all our immune systems have had a bit, a bit of a shock. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to uh, – but, yeah, no, definitely a lot to look forward to. And people can can uh, go to noigroup.com uh, uh, if they want to to – find out what we've got uh, on offering and um it, you know it lends itself to you know some of the, the products and things we have but it's it's really useful and there's um you know constantly doing the research into you know keeping it as as true as uh, you know and scientifically evidence-based as possible that's fantastic man hey i mm. i appreciate the conversation today about all this i think that's a great point to to wrap up the show um I also is there is there another place where if um, so Noi Group um, the website is uh, there any other places that like give maybe like what you guys are up to currently like uh, uh, Instagram or Twitter yeah or we have um, yep Noi Group on um, Instagram and Noi Group uh, US. Uh, uh, they're they're two. They're our um, Instagram accounts, and um, we do have a Twitter account. I should know this. Uh, I'm not as I'm not as active on it. Um, but uh, definitely the the website and um, all the information's on there essentially because that that sort of helps people navigate around. There's a little bit more information. You know, there, there's a blog Noi Jam, mm. um, which is on that 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 goes into a little bit more detail. So, but uh, you can definitely sort of follow us on um on instagram uh noi group and uh, noi group uh, noi group underscore us i believe it is and um uh yeah that's where the new website's the good things. too yeah yeah no we spent a, a lot of time on that uh last year so that's i'm glad thanks for yeah it's it's, it's, it's impressive it. man it's impressive and, and i look forward to um touching base in the near future and, and checking in on you and see seeing how things are are all going because you guys um, at the Noi Group and it sounds like you are, are really progressing um, towards helping not only clinicians understand pain better, um, but also making a huge dent in the future towards the, the opioid epidemic and being able to, to manage um, the state of pain. Yes. Yeah. So now that look, it's, it's very, very crucial and, um, you know, hopefully we can keep keep doing it and keep learning. <laughs> For sure, man. For sure. So, all right. I appreciate your your time, Keith. It's been great. Same here, man. I'll I'll get uh, we'll get together soon. All right, good man. All right, take Bye. care. Thank you guys for listening to today's show. For more, head over to bizbody.net. Please leave a review and a positive comment. Let everyone know how much you like the show. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time.